The girls' entrance of the secondary school was approximately two-thirds to three-quarters full of rubble and waste material. I climbed onto the rubble in the doorway. When I looked directly in front of me, I saw that the houses in Moy Road had vanished in a mass of tip waste material and that the junior school gable ends, or part of the roof, were sticking up out of the morass. I looked down to my right and I saw that the Moy Road houses had gone. Acting Headmaster This was the Aberfan disaster, and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. Aberfan is a small village at the bottom of Taff Valley, when the Murthari Val Colliery sunk in August 23rd, 1869, Aberfan was just two cottages and an inn which mainly hosted local farmers and bargemen. A hundred years on, the population grew to 5,000, most of who were working in the coal business. In 1947, the British coal industry was nationalised. The colliery in Aberfan was controlled by NCB, the National Coal Board. The coal industry was regulated by HM Inspectorate of Mines. Inspectors employed used to be engineers in the coal industry and used to work with NCB. The River Taff runs through the village on the west outskirts was the disused Glamorganshire uh, Canal and a railway embankment. The first spoil from the coal mine was de uh, deposited on the valley's lower slopes, which was east of the canal. But in the 1910s, the first tip was over above the canal line and village on the west side. By 1966, spoil heaps or tips were at seven in total. Tip seven was the one being used in 1966. The stability of tips were affected by water. Tip 4, 5 and 7 were on streams. Tip 4 was used from 1933 until 1945. It was large and was started on marshland between two streams. When planning for it began, the position was looked at and engineers acknowledged Avalanche's possibilities, but signed it off as being very unlikely. In the 1940s, ground movement was appearing, so to tackle the problem, a drainage channel was dug in 1944. In November that year, the tip slipped down to about 500 feet above the village. In May 1963, tip 7 slightly moved, and then in November, there was a larger slide. But NCB said it wasn't a slide at all, but tailings run. After the suspected slide, the NCB stopped tipping tailings on number 7, but still had spoil continued. Aberfan was a damp and rainy place. In 1952 until 1965, flooding was a serious issue. Residents would complain water from the floods was black like tar and left this greasy residue all over the place. Complaints went to the borough council and they spoke to NCB in 1963 or 64 on the topic of the danger from the slurry being tipped behind the pant glass school. Murtais in 1965 had the two agree to take action on the clogged pipes and drainage ditches that were thought to be the issue, but no action had been taken by October 1966 when the tip collapsed. October 1966 was rainy and it was very heavy in the first three weeks of the month. During the night of October 20th, 
the peak of tip 7 subsided and the rails which transported the spoil fell into the hole. At half 7 in, in the morning on October 21st, the spoil movement was discovered by the morning shift. The workers then walked to the collier to report the incident and they returned with the tip supervisors and they made a decision that no work was to be had for that day. A new tip in place was to be decided the following week. At 9.15am a huge amount of water saturated debris broke from tip 7 and flowed down the hill at 21 miles per hour in waves of 30 feet. About 140,000 cubic yards of spoil slid 700 yards, taking out two farm cartridges, killing all that lived inside. 50,000 cubic yards travelled across the canal and also the railway into the village. It destroyed two water mains, so even more water saturated the soil. Accounts say the avalanche sounded of heavy thunder or a low flying jet. The avalanche hit Pant Glass Junior School, smothering the structure, filling classrooms with thick mud, sludge and debris. 109 children and 5 adults were killed. The school had just begun its day minutes before the avalanche, and it was the last day of school before the Halloween break. Teachers stood in their classrooms, going through roll call when the mass hit. The secondary school was damaged, along with 18 homes on the surrounding roads. Other homes in the area were flooded with mud and water. Many had to be evacuated. It gets even worse though. Once the slides stopped, the material started to harden. A massive lump of slurry about 30 feet high blocked the area. Staff tried to protect the children and some of them sadly died. Nancy Williams, the school meals clerk, shielded five children. The children lived, but Nancy, she died. In the classroom, Deputy Headmaster or Vice Principal De Bernon used the classroom's blackboard to shield him and the children from the slurry slamming into the school. Bernon and all 34 pupils in the class sadly died. When it finally stopped, so did all noise. A resident noted, quote, In that silence, you couldn't hear a bird or a child, end quote. When it stopped, locals ran to the school and they started to try dig through the rubble using their hands and garden tools. At 9.25am, calls came into the police making them aware of the landslide. Fire brigades got the same calls and calls also went to hospitals, ambulance service and civil defences. Miners arrived 20 minutes after the disaster. They would direct the early digging and they were with a better understanding of avoiding collapse and they worked in groups and pit managers headed the teams. At 9.50am the first casualties arrived at the hospitals. The others that were rescued arrived by 11am. 22 children, one who was dead on arrival and five adults were pulled from the wreckage. After 11am no survivors were found. 144 people died in the disaster. 116 of them were children and of the 116, 109 were found inside the school. Five teachers also died. From the news, thousands of volunteers came to, to Aberfan to help. Although, out of goodness, their help got in the way of experienced personnel. The two broken water mains had water continue to flow into the spoil until 11.30am, when the supply was eventually cut off. 
Movement was still a danger in the upper slope, so at noon, NCB began digging a drainage channel. Uh, channel. The aim for this was to stabilise the tip. This took two hours to get the water diverted to a safe place. That morning, NCB had a board meeting, and it was during this meeting they were told of the disaster. This sent the campaign's Director General of Production and the Chief Safety Engineer to inspect the situation. Lord Robbins was the organisation's chairman and he didn't finish visit the scene. NCB covered for him when the Secretary of State of Wales, Glenwyn Hughes, called asking where he was. He was told Robbins was personally directing relief work. A complete lie. Hughes visited at 4pm. He then called the Prime Minister, Harold Wilson. Wilson told Hughes to do whatever was needed, forget about the normal procedures and cost wasn't a problem. Wilson got to Aberfan at 9.40pm. He heard from police and civil defence. He also visited the uh, rescue workers. Appeals for financial donations came for the Aberfan Disaster Fund to help with hardship and to rebuild. A makeshift morgue was set up in the chapel on October 21st and was used until November 4th. The Glamorgan Constabulary Force helped identify and register the dead. Two doctors examined the victims and issued the death certs. Most had cause of death as asphyxiation. Other common causes included fractured skulls or multiple crush injuries. The chapel was small. It's a small area, so the chapels only accommodate locals. Because of this, parents could only go in one at a time to identify their children. The chapel also was the place for missing people, and the chapel's vestry was used by the Red Cross and St. John Ambulance. 400 embalmers offered their help with cleaning and dressing the dead. Help even came from Northern Ireland. Child-sized coffins were flown from there to Aberfam. October 22nd, the second mortuary had to be set up in another chapel, and it operated from October 22nd until October 29th. By October 22nd, 111 bodies were recovered. 51 were identified. Lord Snow, the Queen's brother-in-law, visited and spoke to workers and parents. Then at 11am, Prince Philip, the Queen's husband, visited. The afternoon light rain came, followed by a heavy downfall. This had further movement in the tip, which threatened their workers and raised the possibility of another evacuation. October 23rd, more help came from the, ter uh, the Territorial Army. Then came the naval from HMS Tiger and members of the King's own Royal Border Regiment. That same day, Edmund Davis, Lord Justice, was appointed the chairman of the inquiry into the disaster. October 24th, the coroner's report was opened to give cause of death for 30 children. People were devastated and angry. NCB were accused of burying the victims alive, of killing their children. The first funeral for five children was on October 25th. A mass funeral for 81 children and more happened the 27th. They were buried in a pair of 80 foot long trenches. 10,000 people attended the funerals. October 28th, the last victim was recovered. 
on October 29th, Queen Elizabeth and her husband, Prince Philip, visited Aberfan. October 25th, 1966, the tribunal was formally appointed. Before it started, the media were warned commenting on the investigation could open consequences such as contempt of court. As said before, Lord Justice Davis was on the inquiry along with the civil engineer Harold Harding and Bernard Lawrence, the former clerk to the Monmouthshire County Council. November 2, 1966, the inquiry had its first public meeting and took evidence for 76 days with 136 witnesses testifying. The tribunal reported, quote, much of the time of the tribunal could have been saved if the National Coal Board had not stubbornly resisted every attempt to lay the blame where it so clearly must rest, at their doors, end quote. Stephen Owen Davis, Aberfan's MP, gave evidence and said he always had concerns about the tips. Brian Gibbons, Queen Council and the Council for National Union of Mine Workers, or NUM, challenges David's concerns. He claimed that Davies also had responsibility to the event. Gibbons would urge for Davies' testimony to be rejected and the tribunal agreed. So at first, Robbins wasn't called to testify. But as he was being attacked regularly by statements in the media, the tribunal decided to allow him to defend his position, so he was invited to attend. The tribunal concluded hearings April 28, 1967, and the report was published on August 3rd. They concluded blame rested with NCB. The tribunal made many recommendations, including extensions of the Mines and Quarries Act 1954 to cover tips, and they recommended a formation of a National Tip Safety Committee to advise the government. They also advised that action was needed to safeguard the future of Aberfan. In the rescue, the media was very insensitive. One rescue worker heard a photographer ask a child to cry more to get a better photograph. Donations and condolences letters poured in. Residents experienced medical issues after the disaster. Many survivors said they couldn't sleep, had few friends, didn't want to go to school, had bladder issues and suffered from nervousness. NCB weren't prosecuted and no staff were demoted, fired or prosecuted as a result from the disaster. NCB offered £50 to the bereaved families. This was later raised to £500. Families were obviously furious with such an insult. The fund though that was set up by the mayor grew rapidly and it topped at £1.75 million. An outline was drawn up. The fund was for people who suffered as a result of the disaster. In 1967, the charity commission advised any money paid to parents or bereaved families would be against the terms of the trust. After arguments, it was agreed no more than £500 should be paid, and this was changed to £5,000 with each case examined before payment. Other areas were more straightforward, like homes destroyed or damaged. £100 would help in evacuation. £100,000 was set aside for future needs of eight children physically injured in the disaster 
and £5,000 was put into a trust for them when they came of age. Residents petitioned in April 1968 for the tips to be removed. They felt that they were a serious danger to the village. To make their point of danger, they went into the Welsh office and left a pile, a small pile to be fair, of cold slurry on a table just to show the destruction a small pile could do. NCB refused to pay for a removal. The Chief Secretary to the Treasury also refused to pay claiming the costs were too high. Eventually the government were persuaded to remove them. £150,000 came from the disaster fund. £350,000 was paid by NCB and the government paid the rest. The final cost was up at £850,000. In 1969, the government framed new legislation to remedy the absence of laws and regulations governing mined and quarry spoil tips. The Health and Safety at Work etc. Act 1974 was created and was the form and was the formation of the Health and Safety Commission. October 2016, the 50th anniversary, had memorial events in with the Prince of Wales, now the King of England, Prince Charles, uh, attending these memorial events. On August 2021, a memorial sculpture was installed. In 2022, a call came to find a permanent home for items salvaged from the disaster like clocks that stopped at the exact moment the disaster hit. And that is the story of the Aberfan disaster. Like and subscribe to my YouTube channel and don't forget to hit the little bell. And join me next time for the story of Dean Corll, an American serial killer who abducted, sexually assaulted, tortured and killed at least 28 teen boys from 1970 until 1973. He was helped by two teens, David Brooks and Elmer Henley. The crimes would be called the Houston Mass Murders and only came to light when Elmer killed Coral. It's considered one of the worst serial killers in US history. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil 